What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study. Today we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and it is a pretty short chapter, so we should be able to cover all of it. Paul is addressing the question these people asked about food being offered to idols. So let's read this together and get into it because it's a great chapter and it um, is very applicable to a lot of situations and circumstances in the life of a Christian and in the life of dealing with people inside the church. So let's read this together. Now regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. So what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? Well, we all know that an idol is not really a god and that there is only one god. There may be so-called gods, both in heaven and on earth, and some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But for us... There is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. <clears throat> However, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as the worship of real gods. And their weak consciences are violated. It is true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if others see you with your superior knowledge eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live, and I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. Alright, so, first thing to take note of in this chapter is that Paul is responding to a question that the people from the church have asked about food that is offered to idols. So you see this kind of constant communication going on between Paul and these people. He may not have been there in a while. There might be a lot of stuff going on, but they're still communicating with him. And some people still value what Paul has to say about certain issues. So Paul does not open up the, his response with an actual answer to the issue, but rather he addresses the heart of the believers in Corinth. Now, of course, there is knowledge and of course people there are smart, and of course everyone has an opinion on everything. We know that today. We can see that uh, significantly through social media and uh, you know just all the different venues people have to express their opinions on things. So as I said before, Corinthians is a very applicable uh, book because we can relate to it significantly. Now the real question is whether or not these people love one another. It's not a matter of what they know or what's true or, you know, anything like that. It's simply a matter of the heart and whether or not they're loving one another. Knowledge may make these people feel important, but love is what strengthens the church. And as it says in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And that's from Jesus. Now, it's important that as we believe in Christ, that we are very careful that 
throughout the years as we serve him of obviously we will grow in knowledge and wisdom and things like that but knowledge does not make us closer to god love makes us closer to god love is what binds us all together and is what reveals to the world that we belong to jesus now it's a vital importance that we as believers are loving one another if you come into contact with anyone who claims to know all the answers then they are really admitting that they know nothing and there's a little bit of sarcasm in that statement you know paul uh like jesus if you read the words of jesus in the gospels you can sense a little bit of sarcasm in the way that he spoke to the religious leaders paul is very similar in that in in his teachings and in his analogies you can almost sense a little bit of sarcasm in it and paul is claiming that anyone who claims to know everything really is admitting that they know nothing at all and knowledge now remember this knowledge came from the tree that brought the curse so in the garden of eden it was the tree of knowledge of good and evil so it was knowledge that adam and eve desired and it was knowledge that they wanted and that knowledge is what brought the curse on them so knowledge can be very beneficial in a lot of ways and we're going to talk about that as we go through the chapter but knowledge initially came with a curse and that's really important to remember in this whole aspect of okay how much do we know how smart are we and we value things like that especially in our culture in america the western culture of education values knowledge significantly so we have to be careful in that and remind ourselves that knowledge is important it can benefit us in a lot of ways but scripturally speaking it came with a curse and knowledge is not the most important thing paul reminds them that love is so knowledge isn't necessarily something that we should desire and and i say that it's not like it's wrong that we shouldn't desire knowledge but it shouldn't be the only thing that we desire i guess is a better way to say it really wisdom is a much more beneficial thing for us as believers um and there's a difference in knowledge and wisdom because if you're wise you can be knowledgeable and be able to apply things and if you're wise you may not know everything but if you have wisdom you can admit that and find people who do have the knowledge and seek out the knowledge in order to accomplish the task people who have knowledge aren't always wise and they aren't always even able to apply that knowledge i've known several people in my life who are um they would qualify as geniuses um just in the educational field testing their iqs um you know just different things like that there are many people who are very very smart and at the same time they have a very difficult uh they have a difficult time relaying that knowledge and information to someone else in a beneficial way and they have a hard time communicating with people and so knowledge can be great but it can also hinder you if you're not careful it can be a wall that has to be breached so it's very important that we are seeking wisdom and love rather than just seeking knowledge now um the person who loves god is the one that god recognizes paul says this and if we don't love god then he doesn't recognize us now that's really important love is what identifies us as christians the gospel of john says the world will know you for your love for one another uh it also says that god will know us if we love him and let's look at matthew the gospel of matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23. now now jesus says that not everyone who calls out to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven 
but only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. And on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Now, it's important for us to understand this morning that anyone can know God or claim to know God. Anyone can claim to know God. Anyone can do good deeds in the name of God. But God knows whether or not you truly love him. And he knows whether or not you truly love his people. And I think it's in 1 John that talks about true love for the Lord uh, is obedience. That if you truly love God, you'll be obedient. And in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 7, it says, I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. So obedience is very much tied to love. And love is very much tied to the ability for God to be able to identify those who belong to him. Now, Paul is emphasizing love before he begins to share wisdom on what they should do about this food that has been offered to idols. So, now that we've talked about love, let's talk about wisdom and application and how we can use this, um, not only understanding what Paul was writing, but how we can apply this to our lives today. So, as far as meat goes, Paul begins from a practical sense of speaking, and he says, well, idols are not really gods. And if you are a believer, you know this. You know that they're false gods. They're not real gods. And all throughout Scripture, it talks about um, God chastises people for worshiping wood and gold and things that are made by human hands. They're not real gods. And so they're chastised this. And, and as a mature spiritual believer, you would understand this. But... They, there's this understanding that there's only one true God, okay? Yahweh, the God that we serve. And yes, people worship idols and they worship false gods and false lords, but for us as believers in Christ, we worship the one true God. And that means we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and that, believe, that means we believe in God the Father. And Paul identifies that God, the Father by whom all things were created and for whom all we all exist, and the one Lord Jesus Christ, whom all things were created and through whom we live and exist. And you have to understand that when Paul makes that claim right there, that as he's identifying Jesus and God as through whom all things were created and all things exist, that's a reference back to the Gospel of John Chapter 1, verses 1, I think, through like 7. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God, and through the Word all things were created. That's a very important doctrinal understanding of who Jesus is and who God is as being one. And so, as believers of Christ, we believe that Jesus and God are one and that we believe in, in, in the two, uh, Jesus and God that we believe in them as being one being, that we believe in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and in this, we understand that there is one God through Jesus, through God, through the Holy Spirit, and we worship Him. So all the other gods are false gods. They're not real gods. And even though we understand this, that there are people out there who do not have the same knowledge and understanding that we do. So Paul is kind of setting the conversation up to go in a direction that really doesn't mean anything 
to eat this food that aren't that's been offered to false gods. So the offerings don't really mean anything. The food doesn't really mean anything. Like in, in all consideration, in reality, the idols aren't real. So although someone offered a sacrifice to this idol, it doesn't change the food. It doesn't change change its uh, health properties, its beneficial properties to bring nourishment to your bodies. It doesn't change any of that. And so Paul is kind of setting up this conversation of, okay, you have knowledge, but knowledge is something that you have to be very careful with because it does not change your relationship with God. What changes is love, whether or not you love. And so it's almost like Paul is setting this up of, okay, the food doesn't matter, but, and there's always a but, and so he changes this this whole conversation of he's leading into, okay, the food doesn't matter, it doesn't really do anything, but verse 7 begins to change the direction of where Paul's going. And you remember at the beginning of the chapter, Paul was saying that knowledge isn't that important, but what's important is love. And we all know that these idols are not real. And Paul is saying, it's like, okay, you know the idol isn't real, but knowing the idol isn't real is knowledge. Knowing something infers that there is knowledge. And knowledge is not the determining factor of whether or not you belong to God, but love is the determining factor as to whether or not you belong to God. So love is the gauge. Love is the measuring stick upon which we will be judged, we will be weighed, and, and we will be tried when it comes to Judgment Day and we all stand before God. Love will be one of the most significant things that we are identified with. So, verse 7 begins with this beautiful, however. Okay, so Paul's talking about, look, the idols aren't real, the food's not contaminated, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to eat it. Verse 7 starts off with, however... And the reminder that not everyone knows what you know. Um, it's really funny. Knowledge is uh, its a powerful thing. It's an important thing. And it can benefit us in a lot of ways. Um, but even as a pastor, you know, one of my biggest uh, callings, one of the biggest things I have to do is communicate with people. Um, I have to communicate with people through sermons, through Bible studies, through meetings, through counseling, uh, there's a lot of different things that I have to do with communication. And so I try to be as good of a communicator as I can be. And so I read different things and watch videos and do stuff like that. And and I, I try to stay up on, on the understanding of, you know, the curse of knowledge. Um, and we're not just talking about the curse of knowledge of the tree of good and evil in the book of Genesis. Uh, there's There's an understanding today that a lot of scholars talk about is there's this curse of knowledge that once you know something, it's really difficult for you to relate to people who do not know what you know. And so it's really hard to communicate with people who don't know the things that you know and try to explain it to them. And so that's a huge challenge for people who have to communicate with groups of other people is that there's a barrier of knowledge there. And so Paul is making this statement that, hey, there are people around you who don't know what you know. You might know it, which is great. Glad you know it. That's beneficial for you. But there's other people around you who don't know what you know. But you have to be considerate of those people, and you have to love those people. Now, some of those people around you uh, think that those idols are real and that the food offered to those sacrifices uh, is a sin for you to eat. <clears throat> and they're... They feel like if they eat those that food, then they're 
also participating in the worship of those idols. <clears throat> and as a result, their conscience is uh, afflicted, and they feel convicted about that. Uh, they feel guilty, and that's okay. And I want to I want to call this attention to you today that this is actually a good thing that there are people out there whose consciences are more sensitive than others, whether it be of spiritual immaturity or not. And that's a good thing. It's a it's a beautiful thing to see children that are still innocent, tender-hearted, and naive. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but I've worked with uh, with kids from the time I graduated high school. When I started student teaching and helping with children's ministry when I was in school, I did a lot of practicum hours. Um, you know, I've done youth ministry. I did youth ministry for 14 years. I taught school. Went to school for education. That's what my undergrad degree is. So I've had a lot of exposure with with young kids, and kids that are young and naive, and uh, just innocent and tender-hearted. They're really very pleasant children to be around. Um, the The children that are usually the most difficult to be around are children that are young, and they should be innocent. They should be tender-hearted. They should be naive, but. They've been exposed to things of the world. They've been exposed to things that they shouldn't have been exposed to. They know more than they should. And uh, while they have knowledge that other kids don't have, a lot of times that can be very harmful to them because they aren't mature enough to deal with that knowledge and apply that knowledge appropriately. So many times that knowledge can have a negative effect on their life. So if that can happen to kids, think about a young Christian you know, there are young Christians that are around us today that, um, for instance, <clears throat> um, whether they be young or whether they be older and they just got saved. Well, in their spiritual immaturity and their naivety and in their innocence and in their tenderheartedness as young Christians, there's a couple things that happens. Number one, there's probably still some things in their life that they need to grow up and mature in. Well, yeah, they do. Um, the other thing is, is that there are some things in their life that they probably feel convicted about and they're dealing with that they're not exactly sure how to deal with. And um, they might be convicted of things that they shouldn't be, like these Christians that were um, convicted about the food that was being sacrificed to idols. Um, for whatever reason, it pricks their conscience. And that's a good thing because if you don't want a child to grow up too fast, you know, it's like, well, you want your child to grow up. You want them to be mature. You want them to, uh, to to be productive adults in the world. And at the same time, as they grow and mature, they have to be exposed to more and more of the world. So as you want them to grow and mature in beneficial ways, that means they also have to be exposed to negative things in the world. And so you want them to do that in a slow process to where they can mature and deal with negative things in a healthy and beneficial way and learn and grow from them rather than being consumed and destroyed by them. Well, think about a young believer, a spiritually immature believer. You want them to grow in spiritual immaturity, but you can't rush that. That has to happen in God's timing. And so while you want them to grow spiritually, you also don't want to hurt them by tearing their conscience apart or conflicting them in their weak consciences and pushing them to do things that they don't feel comfortable doing. And uh, a lot of times, you know, this this spiritual knowledge 
is beneficial and at the same time for spiritually immature people if you don't have the maturity to deal with it the knowledge could be very destructive and so um, that's just kind of a tidbit of knowledge for you today if you're maybe you're dealing with your young kids and you want them to grow up well be really careful because if you want them to grow up and you, you want them to be mature well they also have to be exposed to really bad things in the world and and all that comes together all of that's part of growing up and maturing so even as a spiritual believer if you got somebody that you know maybe a, a spouse or a kid or someone in your church you've been ministering to just know that if you want them to be spiritual grow in their spiritual maturity well that that takes time and they and they have to grow in some ways in order to uh, deal with negative aspects of faith and convictions and stuff like that and it has to happen at the same time so that they're not consumed by the negative and destroyed by uh, their conflicting conscience so um, another thing is is just being able to communicate the knowledge that you have uh, as I said earlier my undergraduates in education and uh, one of the biggest things that I realized early on is is it doesn't matter what you know um, you can have all the knowledge in the world, and if you can't communicate it to anybody, it's useless. And so a lot of times, um, you know, even though we have knowledge of stuff, we have to be able to communicate it. And we also have to be able to communicate it in a healthy way that someone wants to receive it. Because we can speak truth all day long, but if we're hateful about it and people don't want to receive the truth, well, it does no good. We still can't communicate it, so that knowledge is useless. So just having the understanding of being able to communicate knowledge to communicate spiritual truths is very very important that we need to be understanding of so um so today even the food that we eat even though it doesn't affect our relationship with god at all for some people they think it does and it affects their conscience. and we must love those people um that are part of our spiritual body. There, there are Christians. There, are, you will have family members who aren't as spiritually mature as you. And you may be listening to this, and you may be like, "Man, I'm the one who's spiritually mature. Like, I'm not as spiritually immature as the people around us." Well, we're called to love one another. And so, if uh, you have immature people around you, love them. If you're the immature one, love the mature people. And seek out their guidance and their their teaching and their wisdom because all of that's important. And um, Paul is just communicating this understanding of knowledge is great, but love is important. The food doesn't matter, but for some people who think that it matters, we should love them and gently guide them and be respectful to them and do whatever we can to guard them. So... Verse 9 begins with the understanding that we must be careful because knowledge is power and power gives us the ability to do great things, but power also gives us the ability to uh, inflict great amount of hurt and destruction in people's lives. And we must be careful that our knowledge uh, is, is displayed and given and shared in a way that brings about good and not bad. Knowledge gives freedom from personal guilt, but it does not cause another believer to stumble. We can't make other people stumble in our freedoms. We cannot and must not have the attitude that someone who doesn't, who isn't as spiritually mature as we have should just grow up because our responsibility is to raise children into healthy and thriving adults. And as Christians, 
Our responsibility is to take spiritually immature people and raise them into healthy and thriving Christians. It takes a lifetime. You think about what it means to raise a child. It takes a lifetime to raise a child. You know, they could be 30 years old. And if you're 60, then you're constantly guiding them and teaching them into what it means to be a 60-year-old adult now. Like, you're raising them to a lifetime. And the same thing happens with Christianity. You're always raising the people who are coming behind you to be spiritually mature. And, uh, you know, we, we need to make sure that we are careful not to expose people too quickly to things. And, you know, Scripture talks about how we shouldn't put young Christians in leadership. We shouldn't expose them to the issues going on within the church body, the disagreements, the arguments, you know, the... The, um, the grievances that happen, because they do, we're not perfect. There's all kinds of stuff that goes on in the body of Christ that we have to work through and forgive one another for and love one another in spite of. And so we have to be careful not to expose people to that. Well, in the same way as people feel convicted over things, we have to be very careful not to expose them to, oh, spiritual freedom. Um, that you can do anything because we have spiritual freedom, because that's not healthy either. Uh, we have to be patient with these people who have weaker consciences than us. So if we have a superior knowledge, and yes, a lot of times knowledge can make us superior to others in many different ways, but if we have it, now we're responsible to wield that knowledge and power with careful thought and love. And Paul talks about this. If someone sees you doing something that violates their conscience... And if that person has respect for your spiritual life, for your authority, for your um, influence, if they respect you and they see you doing something that violates their conscience, what that does is it opens up the door of saying, well, if they can violate what I think is wrong in the name of spiritual freedom in Christ, like if they have a maturity to violate what I think is wrong, why can't I violate what I think is wrong? Why can't I have spiritual freedom in Christ? And for any Christian, now, now this is spiritual mature and spiritually immature, that's a dangerous game to play. Because at what point do you draw the line of saying, okay, well this is a legitimate conviction that should go across the board for all Christians. And this is a legitimate personal conviction that I should cling to because for me personally, this is a sin. And it doesn't matter what anyone else says. For me personally, this is a sin. And then you have people who are spiritually immature who have a lot of convictions and they don't know why. But for whatever reason, they just feel guilty about this stuff. And they're trying to live life the best they can. They don't know a lot about scripture. They weren't raised in church. And they're just trying to do the best they can. But when we open up Pandora's box to say, well, there's spiritual freedom and you don't explain yourself or you don't you know, sit down and you're not constantly uh, investing in these people to, to coach them and to guide them and mentor them into how to deal with their convictions, you run the risk of just opening up this very destructive process of, okay, well, I saw so-and-so doing this. And they say they have freedom in Christ. Well, um, that I would have felt convicted about that. But if they're doing it, it must not be wrong. Well, what about all my other convictions? Can I just violate them in the name of spiritual freedom? So we have to be really careful 
not to cause other people to stumble and to violate their consciences. Um, and yes, like today, I, I, I want to communicate this to you. Yes, we do have a great deal of, of freedom in Christ. Uh, but in the same way that we have a great deal of freedom in Christ, we also are bound in service to Christ. And we're also bound in service to one another. We're bound to love Jesus and one of our greatest displays of love is obedience, according to Scripture. And we're also bound to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, as a result, Christ and others come before our own knowledge. They come before our own desires. And yes, Christ and others come before our own freedom. And we have to remember that as believers, that, that Jesus and his believers come first. We must be careful because verse 11 says that a weak believer's faith can be destroyed by such things. Now, I don't know about you, but I have enough sins in my own life to answer for, and I sure don't want to have to answer for causing another believer to fall away from the Lord. I don't want to cause them to stumble and struggle in their relationship with the Lord. And Paul says that when we sin against other believers and cause them to violate their consciences, we are directly sinning against Christ. And that is a weight that I don't want to bear. And Paul feels the same way. And that's why in verse 13 he says that if what he eats causes uh, another believer to sin, he would never eat it again as long as he lives. He does not want another believer to stumble as a result of something he did. And that is an attitude that we should have as Christians across the board. We should love one another so much that we would dare not do or say anything in this world that would ever cause them to stumble in any way. And that is what Paul is taking. He's taking the position of being careful, being loving, being considerate of others and of Christ before himself. And that's the attitude that Jesus had. And that's the attitude that we should have. So, today... Even though you may have freedom in your faith in Christ and you may not feel guilty about certain things, you need to understand that there is an obligation for you to serve Christ through obedience and to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ and making sure that we don't do anything to cause them to stumble. Alright? Let me pray with you. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day, for the opportunity to be together, for the opportunity to worship and to serve you. Lord, help us in our lives to be men and women of faith, to give godly examples to everyone around us. Help us to be obedient to you and your word. Help us to love one another and to be shining examples of what it means to follow Christ and in all things to be considerate and loving and guarding one another so that we can all be better believers in you. We love you and we thank you for this day and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in for another week. We love you. We're praying for you. We hope to see you on campus on Sunday. If not, catch us on Facebook, YouTube, and podcast. Have a great week.